0: Welcome back to the Value Adds Value podcast with Kyle Krieger and Wilkie Long, where we're sharing inspiring stories of educators just like yourself, helping you to develop your craft and sharpen your tools to become the teacher your students deserve. This is the Value Adds Value podcast. Let's jump into this next episode.
1: here from the value adds value podcast wanted to welcome you back to another episode uh in which we have our whole team together uh actually nice one we uh, have just had another team member who you hear on the podcast next week but um we're back to this conversation about what we've been struggling with uh over this course of uh, distance learning and you know what we're noticing and you know the second half of this conversation that we introduced last week is really trying to get focused on preparing for the fall and whether or not we are going back to classrooms whether we're doing hybrids, whether we're doing virtual uh, we all kind of came to the agreement that we need to get prepared uh, we need to do things like just starting out like be better about parent communications. Um, and expectations and all that stuff. And that's what you hear in this conversation. But before you listen, I I wanna make sure 100% that you know our organization, us as teachers, us as people, we are 100% here to support you. So if there's ever anything you need, um, whether it's just somebody to talk to or ideas for PD or ideas for classroom learning or anything, please reach out, do not hesitate to find us. On social media, go to our website, theledproject.com, send us an email, whatever you need. But we hope that uh, the end of your school year goes well uh, and that you appreciate the work you're doing and, and what you've done in a difficult situation. And as always, thanks for listening to Value. As I hope you enjoy the episode.
0: And you know, you're so, so point, Um, gosh, like, I just wrote that down, redefining what engagement looks like for this platform. Uh, Because one of the other things that we were going to talk about next, and it's like a perfect segue, um, um, is the lag time with feedback with students. Um, You know, I know for me, my experience is my students get their math assignments on Tuesdays. Uh, Tuesdays, I have office hours for an hour. And then On Thursday, I do all-day video conferencing at 9, 10, 11, and 12, Uh, four different times, same lesson. Um, And so by the time my students complete an assignment on, say, they finish it on Thursday, those kids are not really required to go back in and see anything that I've given them until next Tuesday. And so now they have to go in and look at what I've done. I don't actually get a face to face with them- li- legally until Thursday, which really I have to go on to something new. I can't really go back to you know i can't I try to scaffold back within the time frame, you know, but we have thirty minute sessions you know I've stretched mine out to forty five minutes because discourse and math is so big, you have to actually talk about what you're doing and I mean learning period um. So I try to get 15 minutes of discourse. Let's talk about it. Unmute your mics and let's have a conversation, you know. Um, but how do we how do we fix that? Um, that lag time? Like how do we adjust our um you know, our governor to to, to accommodate the uh that lag time? You know, how do we do that? No so one. That's such a big
2: question. <laughs> I yeah, I yeah. Like, I don't, I don't honestly know if I have an answer because I haven't like figured that out myself. Would that be where it is important to have pre-recorded
3: lessons built in? Um, which is mm-hmm. one of my frustrations for for teachers is that I don't think you have been given the time to do that. You know, I really, I really think, uh, in the fall that there should be, you know, time to just pre-plan for, <laughs> for, you know, four to six weeks of this. Um, but I, I'm not sure. I, I completely hear what you're saying. How do you, because we know we do have those kiddos who, in the physical space of classroom learning, they're they're done with their hand up in 15 minutes, saying like, "What do I do now?" or "Can I <laughs> move on?" Um, I think that's a really important question because we, how do we respect and uh, understand that teachers cannot in this way just crank it out like with 200 kids all day every day.
2: Mm-hmm
3: you know, that's just, that's like an unreasonable ask of one teacher to, you know, labor for that kind of, um, of setting, Uh, which also makes me think, then is that reasonable for the physical building? But, (laughs) but, uh, yeah, I think you were, I think that's a big, important issue to have your peers really, uh, discuss, you know, as teaching teams and and subject area teams and grade level teams with your administrators because there has to be a new way of sharing that that load, that teaching load. We have to get more creative with how we're we're creating the content that they're needing. Um,
0: well, and one and, thing, go ahead, Kyle. And
4: and oh, what I was just gonna say, um, you know, with with the lag time piece and I was talking about it like I hand out paper packets on a Monday and I don't get them back until the following Thursday. And, and I, I know it was brought up on here a while back where we were talking about zoom, zoom fatigue, but also like respecting parents by not calling every time something's missing, you know, like parents were getting overwhelmed. So for me, like I send out emails to kids all the time and I don't, I don't ever get responses. I don't ever get questions from kids. And and that's really for me where the the kind of the lag time question is, is because you we used to hang our hats like on that, dis, not just the discourse between kids, but the discourse between us and the student of being able to give that immediate feedback. And it's just really... And I think that's my biggest pain point right now is I feel like and where I'm failing is I'm not able to give my kids feedback, not because I'm not trying, it's just all the parameters and the way the situation has, you know, developed over the last seven weeks.
5: Yeah, I think I miss like I just wanna talk to my kids. Like another reason why I don't want to go to our locker clean out is it'll be really hard to not see my students and want to give them hugs, like, you know, being there. And I, I was actually at Target and I saw one of my students last year and they went to run up to me and I was like, Oh wait, no, you can't, you can't hug me, you know? And it's, it's just, it's been hard and it's, I miss giving them that immediate feedback in person because sometimes if they're struggling, they need to see you. Yes. They're seeing you virtually, but it's not the same, like body language is harder to read. They look at all those things, they look to you for confidence and it's not the easiest to do over this platform. As, as hard as we try, it's, it's hard to deliver that emotional
0: feedback as well. And something Kyle talked about earlier, um, we were just chatting, uh, he talked about the irony of living in a digital world where everything moves so quickly, that now that we're teaching in the digital world, everything is moving so slow. Uh, in my classroom, my virtual classroom, I'm literally having to redefine what wait time is, because you know they tell you, you know, teacher books when you're teaching, allow wait time before you get a response. That wait time is like crickets. You know, I'm like, unmute <laughs> your microphones and say something. You just see a bunch of little red, unred microphones, and I'm like, I'm gonna unmute everybody. And then they're like, I don't have anything. I don't have anything. I don't have anything and I'm like, Oh my God. So I mean it, it that that is just so ironic that we're we're in this. Let's go, let's go, let's go. But everything is kinda like back to snail mail. I told him it's like the equivalent of me writing a letter and mailing it to my next door neighbor. <laughs> you know, that's kind of how it feels like. You know, it's just yeah, I don't know.
5: It's, it's so true though. Like even I, or like I said, I'm not doing the virtual lessons, like either the live lessons, like you guys are doing, but um, for me, just trying, y'all post a lesson on Monday, but trying to get feedback to 122 students is hard. I I mean, I'm like, should I be in elementary school where I only have 30 kids? Because these 120, 130 kids, it's hard to give valuable, you know, great feedback. And a lot of the times some of their answers I don't know. They'll just say, I don't know. No. Like very, you know, very yes, no short mm-hmm. answers. And it's just it's just hard. And I feel like I'm not doing enough as a teacher. And I have to constantly <laughs> remind myself, like, it is fine. We're mm-hmm. doing okay. And I think we all need to remind ourselves that. Like we we need a pat on the back, a little clap, round of applause, because we're doing great.
0: <laughs> yes. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. You know, it's it, you know, I I'm always the glass half, half full guy. That's me all the time. And as I look at my engagement and those kids who I know, I know they're not getting it by the by the physical response. They don't have to tell me, Mr. Law, I don't understand. I can literally be teaching and when I'm done. I can tell by the look in your eyes that you did not really quite grasp what I did. So I can set everybody else afloat and I can come over here and slowly get you off the banks. And right now, those kids who were were there, they're even more there now. Like, they're not even near the pool whatsoever. They're like, I'm going to be as far away from this as possible because now I'm really exposed and I don't have anybody there to coax me into where I'm going. And um, I have a mixture of parents. I have those hover parents who are on the literal virtual call with me, with my kids. Um, And I'm totally fine with it. You know, I tell parents let me give you a disclaimer. You're going to get the, the Mr. Law that's going to be in the classroom. So when I'm cracking jokes, the kids know who I'm talking about. When I'm saying things and I'm doing things, your kids will know what I mean and how I'm doing it. I say, so if I say something that you may think it's a little thing, check the kids' response. If your kid's not shaking up, this is me. You know? <laughs> and so uh, one of the parents was like, no, I love sitting. She emailed me. She said, I love sitting in your classes. You know, you, you break it down. It's me and a co-teach, so we have the ability to to really break things down a lot easier because you get two different perspectives in one at one time. So I'll chime in, he'll chime in and go back and forth and so the kids kind of get that understanding. But you know, when you think about how we're going to approach next year, you know, I, I heard you somebody say, do we start preparing kids in August for distance learning?" Do we create in our classrooms hybrids already built in? I know I tried it this year to try to do it because I thought, not that I thought COVID would happen, just because I thought, I'm an online student. I know this is the wave of the future. More kids are going to be doing this digital thing. Why wait until you get there to realize how to manage that load? And that's one of the things we've been hearing from all of us say, kids can't manage that. They don't know how to put so maybe that needs to be worked into a curriculum to say how to manage digital learning, not even digital learning, how to, how to learn in a digital world, like how to set up those times where you, you know, our, we try to do it. Give kids a schedule. You can pick between these different days. These are offered. Um, but I know a lot of campuses didn't do that. A lot of campuses didn't do that. Our kids know Monday, between Monday through Friday, what subject area they're going to check in with. Um, we still have kids, but again, 85% of our kids are online engaged right now. My question is always, what about that 15 that's not, and the ones that are engaged, engaged, they're not doing the work. They'll respond to my life lesson with law, my little, my little share, share something that you think my inspirational piece and do none of my math work. And I'm okay with that. (laughs) I'm 100% okay with that because you're still engaging. I want you to be engaged with the math, but do I want to call your parents every week and be like, hey, little Johnny hadn't turned in his homework. You know, know, he hadn't turned in his work for the last week. Well, he said he was on there. Yeah, he was on there, but this is all he did. I don't know what's going on in the house. I don't know who's doing what, how's, you know, but we're told we're supposed to make those calls every single week, every single week. And I get it for the accountability, but I think districts have to kind of start waving a white flag and say, OK, states, we need you to stop the hemorrhaging. Let's stitch it up. <laughs> and so we can move.
5: Exactly. Wilkie. Like at what point do we say, do I keep calling the parent who has not responded to text emails, constant calls after four weeks? Oh, I know we're also afraid of, you know for at least in Texas, we've been told TEA is going to come in and audit us. We need to make sure we cover our bases. But again, like we, we talk about giving kids grace, giving parents grace. You know, a lot of my kids have two parent working families or one single parent working families and, you know, and they are really doing their best. They're struggling to make sure that they're doing their jobs and being able to still have a paycheck or, you know, struggling now that they do not have a paycheck Mm -hmm. And the parents need us, to, and I. I always try to really tell my parents, "You're doing a great job. You're doing awesome. You can do it too." Like they need to be, you know, reminded that do not stress. Just do the best that you can. Your student will be fine. Your kid will be fine. I promise. We'll be. We'll, we'll all make through. We'll come to August. We'll catch your children up. But you know, parents, they need the reminders too. I think we focus so much on children, but now we're in the business of working with parents. I'm I'm doing more parent phone calls than I've ever done in my career combined. It's a short career so far, but you know, like this has been huge. I'm really learning that piece of let's, let's talk to parents every single day. Mm -hmm. Well, and here's something that people might like,
2: it might not sit like in the most comfortable spot with folks, but if we as teachers didn't have a solid communication with our parents before all this why would we expect them to now respond to us after we haven't set that up in the entire beginning of the year and i think um you know for some teachers like you know that parent communication was like a thing but then other teachers like it wasn't um maybe necessarily a priority for whatever reason and so now like Um, teaching in tights made a really thoughtful story about this on Instagram and it like really resonated with me. Like, you know, if, if parents never heard from teachers during the regular school year and now they're being expected to respond, like, would they, like, would you respond? And I don't think I would, like, if this is the first time my teacher is showing like an interest or like trying to get a hold of me, right. Like, you know, would, would I respond or would I prioritize other things instead? And that like really, like sat with me and maybe reevaluate. Like you know, how did I communicate with parents before? How am I communicating with parents now? And is there like like what's that? What's that difference? What's that piece? Were parents did they feel valued um, mm-hmm. as part of their students? Like um, or sorry, did caregivers um, feel valued as part of like their student education process? Like before crisis schooling started in for my classroom specifically. So that was like a really important reflection piece for me.
5: I love that you say that, Ace, because that's something I've thought of moving forward. That's like I know now, going into next year, this is what I need to focus on. Like I, I love building relationships with my students. I, I pride myself on being great at building relationships, but the one thing that I have not focused on or need improvement on is building relationships with my parents, because with one hundred and twenty students, one hundred and twenty-two, one hundred and thirty students, it's difficult to stay on top of it. So I need to make sure, you know, I am connecting with the caregivers and making sure that I am on top of it, building that relationship within the first couple weeks of school.
0: And you know, I have a different philosophy. My philosophy is I like the parents to learn me through their kids. So I encourage kids to talk to their parents. And now I'm reevaluating that because one thing that I wanted to do this year was start having, uh evening conversations like come have coffee and tea coffee and tea and cookies with mr law and invite you know one of my classes at one night the next time bring right my other parents and bring the parents into the learning environment not for a school structure thing but just for you to understand my heart as a teacher and what your kids see when they walk into the classroom um and i wanted to do that this year and i didn't get it going um a lot of logistic stuff. You can't do it on this day because of that. And you can't do it because of this. Um, but now I'm seeing that that has to become a priority. Um, because you're right, Ace. The parents that I talk to all year long, those kids are online. Those kids are online. The parents that may have slipped through the crack because their kid was quiet or kind of one of those kids that kind of float and you don't ever have an issue, you don't have ever have, those parents, those kids are not, even though they're good kids, I can see where that misstep of not connecting with their parent, because it's the parents, you know, when I asked my kids, did y'all get my announcements in the email? They were like, no, my mom told me that I needed to get online. You know, and I use Class Dojo, and those parents that are connected to my Class Dojo, those are the ones I engage with. I would always send out messages to our stories and through things like that, but now to be in a situation to realize what you just said, those parents that are not, why would they answer my call? I'm with you. I'm I'm a parent. And if I've heard from you all year long, and the first time you call me is wanting to check up on my daughter, see if she turned some work during COVID. um, Just because I'm an educator, I would probably entertain your conversation. But if I hadn't talked to you at all, yeah. I, you, that, probably that just, is, you probably
4: just feel like it's a robo dial.
0: Right. And I'll treat it that way. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. But... <laughs> I, have a, I have a call screener on my, my Google. Yeah. Plug for Google. I have a uh, call screener and um, I screen the call and hang up. Okay. Mm-hmm. Done. Ported as spam.
4: I think, I think our next podcast when we get together is going to have to be about all the things, all the assumptions we had about school that are going to have to change next year, like Mm. parent communication and the biggest mistake. And I can't believe it took this for me to realize that digit, like the kids being digitally savvy with their phones and, and TV and all that is not the same thing as academic, like Digital literacy. It sort of reminds me, Wilkie, of when I moved to Houston and I had to learn the difference between conversational English from non native English speakers and academic English. Mm-hmm. They are two totally different things.
0: Mm-hmm. So, and it's like, it's a, because when you talk about technology and digital learning, that's a literacy, that's like a competency in literacy. You know, literacy says, do you know how to navigate the the English language book dealing with digital? Do you know how to navigate this digital space? Do you know how to do a search for something? Do you know that if there are other pages that open up when you do a Google search, do you know that there's certain places you should go and you shouldn't go? You know, we don't have those discussions with kids. And I think that those are things that we have to moving forward next year and in the future, not just next year, but it's something that we have to completely revamp. And this, like I say, this, this is my soapbox and I get excited when, about COVID for this because we actually get to reinvent education. We get to reinvent it completely. In over 200 years, it's been the exact same format and, and everybody's been required to do, you know, I think about that Albert Einstein, Uh, If you judged a fish on his ability to climb trees, it would always be dumb or, you know, something like that. So when you think about it, we've been asking every kid to perform the exact same task, the exact same way for so long, because that was our assembly line, first industrial revolution mindset. We're going into our fourth industrial revolution. We have self-driving cars. And you're saying we can't educate our kids any better than what we did during the first, we have to shift that. And I think now COVID is opening up the eyes of, of educators and, and, and uh, policymakers to where they're gonna have to realize that it has to change. It has to change.
3: I think that this is the time to focus on that before any of the other pieces. This is the time for the teachers. To push hard on their leaders, <laughs> that everything that we've been scrambling and clawing our way through just to like survive in your previous expectations, it needs to go in the trash. Like it's time, um, and you know that's why I I was looking at survey data. Um, about kids and how they were feeling about their distance learning. And I was frustrated because it was a survey created by one of these ed tech companies. Well, of course, what do we know about polling and survey? Like, you know, you're gonna, you're not gonna publish results if it's gonna make your platform look bad. Um, So how do we get genuine answers from our kids of what they really, with this in mind moving forward, if things can't, cannot look like what traditional schooling look like. What did what really helped you, what worked for you, what do you need? Um, and that's going to take legwork on the on school's parts. That means going door to door and dropping off paper uh, questionnaires. Um, that that means, you know, actually letting the community have town hall community conversations and have families engaging with our school leaders and policymakers, um, because i really think that's going to be the most important piece in the next six months if we allow if we allow our mindset to be i just want things to go back to the way they were they'll they'll make sure that happens they'll say no go do what you're supposed to do go into a building with a bunch of sick people and do your job and if you don't you'll get fired and you'll lose your income but if we take the next, you know, six months of 2020 to really push push a narrative of we want to protect kids and families and we want to make sure access is important to kids uh, or is important in what we do for our kids, you know. We still have kids who don't have devices in San Antonio. We still have kids in rural communities who have no Wi-Fi access, uh, you know like Austin ISD, they're driving buses into neighborhoods to have hotspots. But if you go 15 minutes east of that in Maynard ISD, there's no Wi-Fi buses driving around. It's still a a suburban, large suburban community, huge district. Um, But sorry, like you're gonna have to ride your bike a couple of miles down the road to hang out in the neighborhood for the other district. You know, there's a huge a limitation when it's local decisions that are not equitable so I don't know if I get I got way off topic there (laughs) but I'm thinking like But no
0: it's funny because our district our district launched a campaign saying park and learn where parents could literally drive to the schools and use the school's wi-fi if they just because if if you're in the parking lot the wi-fi signal strong enough that it'll work and so that kind of curtailed parents who did not get a device or did we gave out hotspots too. I mean, for kids who don't have it, we gave out hotspots. So, um, well only six twelve. we only did the secondary. We didn't do it the elementary. And so my wife's campus is seeing she's in a majority Hispanic neighborhood, low income. A lot of those kids don't have device. They don't have cell phones, you know, at that level. Um, and so, what do you do for those kids? Like you're missing a huge population of kids. Um, but again, it's like, how do we make sure that there's that equity in the access to, to eliminate that gap? Um, and that's, that's, that's gonna be huge moving forward. I think we districts have to really get a serious plan in place. And like you say, this next six months, stop worrying about trying to put a Band-Aid on this wound right now. Let's get everybody on the table. Let's do the surgery. Let's remove whatever shrapnel in there from COVID. Let's stitch it up and let's give everybody this time to heal. Now let us as leaders prepare for next year so that we can know moving forward what it's going to look like. How can we reimagine all of these things that we're doing and make it to where our school day becomes more fitting for the, for the times that we're in? Like that, I think that is where, but again, that accountability from the states. We gave you money, show me what you're doing. You gonna work the dog mess on us next year. Like we're gonna work as classroom teachers next year because we gotta re-socialize kids. Then we have to re-engage the learning. We have to do so much. So what we're doing right now, I love it. I love being able to see my kids but give me a medium where I can just connect with my kids strictly on some social emotional learning. Let me just have some conversations with them. Let me just do check-ins. Let me have them create memes to share how they're feeling. You know, I didn't know how to respond. I had a kid who tell me I'm depressed. Help me. I took it seriously. And I was like, Hey, we need to email my counselor. You know, I need to find out what's going on. You know, and the kid was like, you know, so I emailed the kid and said, Hey, you know, such and such. He's like, Oh no, I'm just, my mom's getting on my nerves. I can't be at home too long. Da, 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 da like, hey, you know, you can't make statements like that. You know, depression is real, and I know depression's clouds your decision-making. And so, um, yeah, I can say I, I'm, I'm, we have to – maybe that's something we need to figure out as, as a group. Like, how can we help usher in, you know, a change in education? You know, go to change.org and start a campaign and let's get some teachers rallying around it so that they can hear a voice. That there are people out here who really still believe that social emotional needs of our kids supersede any type of content that you want to deliver to them. That that really, really, really and especially now it's more important than ever. Especially now. All right. So Anything you want to add, Kyle?
4: No, no. That was really that was really important. I think That was a great
5: that was a great ending point right there. <laughs> Social emotional needs of children. That's mm-hmm. that's it. Yeah. That's where learning
0: happens. And I, we even talked about the fact that we. I think we need to start putting content out for kids in places where kids are. You know, I'm. I know I'm working with a guy now to try to figure out how to put some stuff on TikTok. Because I want to put, reach my kids. I just looked up and I am like, oh, about 30 of my kids started following me on TikTok. I got excited. It went from 9 to 39 in just one week. I'm like, hey, I can do this. So I'm like, now that they're, they know I'm there, let me start giving them something. You know, let me start working with them and giving them not math, but what they need every day. They, you know, just to know it's going to be all right. You're not behind. You're not. Everybody's exactly where they're supposed to
3: be.
0: <laughs> <laughs> we're not behind. We're exactly where we're supposed to be. And
3: if we've all yeah. been in this weird time loop, are we all behind? No, we're all like. No, <laughs>
4: no nobody got that much farther ahead of you than. No.
3: Well, in my organization, we talk about our big mantra is forward motion. So, like, any anything is helping with forward motion. Um, and sometimes yeah that's not gonna happen but <laughs> but when you do try so each time you try and like you said chip away at those you know some of those challenges you're making you're making steps
1: I want to thank you again uh, from the bottom of our hearts uh, from the team here at Value Adds Value and Lighthouse Educator Development for listening to this podcast um it would mean the world to us if you would subscribe if you would share uh and if you would just help us reach more people and and continue to work on getting kids the teachers they deserve and as i said in the intro i'll keep saying it we're in this with you no matter what happens please if there's anything you need reach out you can find us at theledproject.com. You can find us on social media um, uh, at its.will.law.iii. You can find me as room 508 uh, You can find Lauren as the real traveling teacher. Daylene is cohort of care. And Ace is teaching outside the binary. So if you want to reach out, connect with any of us, hear more, and get our support, please don't hesitate to reach out. And we hope you tune in next week where we uh, share a a conversation with our good friend uh, Vanessa Taborda-Cronin, who is also joining our team. So we're thrilled to share that with you. And um, like I said, more than anything, we're in this with you. So if you need anything, please reach out. Have a great week, everybody. Talk soon.